You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 10. We'll be reading the entire chapter, verses 1 through 32. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togarma. The sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, Dodanim. From these, the coastlands peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans and their nations. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Ramah, and Sabtika. The sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Cad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ir, Calah, and Resen between Nineveh and Calah, that is, the great city. Egypt fathered Ludim, Anamim, Lahabim, Naphtuhim, Pathrusim, Kasluhim, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphturim. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Hath, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zamorites, and the Hamathites. Afterward, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed. And the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. To Shem also the father of all of the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem... Lamb, Shur, or Paxhat, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hol, Gether, and Mash. Or Paxhat fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan fathered Almadad, Shelah, Hazarmeveth, Jera, Hadurim, Azul, Dikla, Obel, Abmael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. The territory in which they lived extended from Mesha in the direction of Sephar to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, 
and their nations, and from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Heavenly Father, we look to you for your wisdom and for your teaching, Lord, as we approach this great chapter. Father, we pray that, Lord, you would speak to us uh, deep within the recesses of our hearts, Father, as you open up your word to our hearts and our minds. So, Father, we thank you in advance uh, for these things. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Of all the various genres in Scripture, I think that the genealogies maybe are some of the most difficult for us, um, at least as we read through the Bible. Uh, sometimes we wonder, what do we do with this? Believe me, I know what that's like. Um, we got a list of names, and it's really hard to read any kind of list without your mind wondering, isn't it? You ever notice that? When you're reading a list, your mind just kind of as I was reading these names, undoubtedly, or probably all that we could do to try to focus on, on this list. And to complicate matters even further, we're hard-pressed to even pronounce these names. We, I, I don't even know for sure that we're even pronouncing them correctly, even when we look them all up and use the established pronunciation keys. Um, these are very ancient names. How were they originally pronounced? No one can know. So here we have this long list of names names we can hardly pronounce. Uh, many folks, understandably, just kind of skim over the material or skip it altogether. And that having been said, many Bible teachers skip this chapter in their exposition of Genesis as well. Um, just go from Genesis 9 to Genesis 11. I understand the temptation, believe me. Um, one commentator who I greatly respect, he writes this in a section at the end of his exposition of the chapter, he has a, a, a section that he entitles homiletical suggestions. Of course, that's of interest to me when I'm preparing a sermon on this. Homiletical suggestions. What does he have to say here? Now, homiletical, by the way, is just a, a $10 word. I guess for matters of inflation, we should call it a $50 word. It's a $50 word for preaching. So, preaching suggestions. At the end of this chapter, uh, under his uh, section, which he entitles homiletical suggestions, he writes, quote, it may be well questioned whether a man should ever preach on a chapter such as this. That wasn't very helpful to me. <laughs> he goes on to say, such a sermon might have too little gospel content and be largely negative in character, showing what the kingdom of God is not. End of quote. Now, these are the words of a very accomplished Bible commentator who is not interested in skipping over anything that's of importance. And I think what he means by this is a verse-by-verse -verse exposition of the 70 names that I just read uh, would be very tedious. And you'll be happy to know that I'm not planning on doing that this morning, okay? Um, but it, it, still, he goes on to say in his paragraph that it might be very useful for a Bible study or a Sunday school class and for that. Yeah, that, I, think, I think that's the case. And, and it's wise advice because there's a big difference between a history lecture and a sermon. There's a difference between a lecture and a gospel sermon. Big difference. The difference is this. It's the difference in whether you get fed or not. That's the difference. So it's a huge difference. Uh, all this having been said, I don't think we should skip the passage. There are some powerful lessons here for us in these passages, and I've been praying all week that the Lord would enable me to preach a couple of these and proclaim a couple of these. 
But I've been praying with equal earnestness that we would hear these things. Um, of course, I'm not suggesting this in any kind of Bartonian way. If some of you will know what I'm talking about there, where we kind of listen for the Word of God. I'm not talking that way. What I mean by hearing is that we'll hear the import of this. We'll hear the import of this. And we'll hear it deep down into our souls in a life-changing, transforming, and God-adoring way. That's what I've been praying for. That the Lord would take this list of 70 names and drill it right into our heart, the gospel lesson that's in here. And that's the last thing I've been praying for, is that we would see a powerful gospel connection in this list of names. There is one. There, there, there is one, by the way. And I pray that we'll see it. Well, we have to start somewhere here this morning. Um, <laughs> I suppose we ought to start with verse 1. How's that sound? We'll start with verse 1. Perhaps the easiest thing in, in the whole chapter. These are the generations. We got that. That's easy enough, right? These are the generations of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, second sentence, their sons born to them after the flood. What we have here, obviously, is a list of names. Uh, it's important that we see that some of these names are the names of individual people. Uh, for example, if you look at verse 8, we're told that Cush fathered Nimrod. Uh, Nimrod is an individual who we'll briefly discuss this morning. So some of these names are, are individuals. Some of these names are clan names. If you look at verse 20, for example, and there's a couple other places you could see this. In verse 20, we're told that these are the sons of Ham by their clans. Some of these are clan names. And of course, some of these names are nations. We'll recognize some of the names as nations. Uh, this, this chapter is often called the table of nations. The table of nations. And it's been said that the Middle East is the cradle of mankind. And here we have the record of, of the spreading of mankind after the flood. So from the cradle of the Middle East to the four corners of the world, we have the spreading of mankind. Uh, there's three very clear divisions in our chapter this morning. Verses 2 through 5 concern the offspring of Japheth. And verses 6 through 20 concern the offspring of Ham. And verses 21 through 31 concern the sons of Shem. That, that's the natural outline of the chapter. That's one I'd like to retain and and, and make use of. And let's look at them briefly in, that, in the order we receive them. We'll start with Japheth. Uh, starting with verse 2, we have the record of his offspring. Um, between verses 2 and 5, if you skip down to verse 5, there's an, important, there's an important sentence there that reads, from these the coastland people spread in their lands. From these the coastland people spread in their lands. Hold on to that. Uh, that's going to become very important here in a few minutes. Uh, perhaps the line of Japheth will be the most interesting to us because this is the line from which most of us in the room, probably all of us in the room, are descended from. The line of Japheth. Did you all know you have a great, 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 great grandfather and his name is Japheth? Um, maybe you didn't know that, um, but you know that now. And back to verse 2, we see the sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tyrus. A couple tidbits about this. Uh, Gomer fans down into Germany. Um, we, we know that. Scholars tell us that. It, it fans down into Crimea and the Celtic people. Uh, Welsh, there's a connection uh, to the Welsh people. 
my grandmother, I think on her, on her mother's side, had folks that came from Wales. Uh, I've got Scottish-Irish blood in my veins, uh, so there's a connection there, as many, as many of us do. Uh, Magog fans down into the Georgians and Scythians, and Medii fans down into the Medes, the Aryans, and India. And that's where we get this connection, Indo-European, in case you've ever wondered about that. Indo-European, uh, all from the descendants, they're all descendants of Japheth, uh, Indo-European. Um, and uh, Javan, by the way, is the father of the Greeks. Uh, the Greeks and Meshach is said to be connected to Moscow. So uh, from this list, we can see how vastly the line of Japheth has spread to the four corners uh, of the globe. And with this in mind, let's look back to chapter 9 and verse 27, if you will. Let's look at the context here. Uh, in chapter 9, verse uh, 27, Noah is pronouncing a blessing upon Japheth, and he's doing so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because this is the only way Noah could do this, would be under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because how is Noah going to know how all his offspring are going to be born and scattered all over the place Noah says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, may God enlarge Japheth. May He enlarge Japheth. And of course, this is exactly what has happened. The line of Japheth spreads all over the entire world, from India to the United States. It's pretty, pretty, pretty vast, isn't it? Um, and by doing so, here's another thing I want you to hold on to. By doing so, the line of Japheth becomes more remote from the center of things. The line of Japheth comes, becomes more remote uh, from the Middle East, from the cradle of mankind, uh, if you will. Having looked at Japheth's line, let's move on to him. If you look at verse 6 in the next section, Moses, who's the author of Genesis, he expounds on the people of Ham. He says in verse 6, the sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan, if you read the Old Testament much at all, you recognize these names. Um, Cush is often used to refer to the Ethiopian people. Uh, we'll see a connection there in just a little bit. Um, Canaan refers to a whole host of people who are largely displaced by Israel. Uh, they are the ones who are living in the promised land. They're displaced by Israel as Israel is given the promised land. In fact, if you look at verse 15 and following, uh, there you'll see a lot of names that you'll recognize if you're familiar with the Old Testament writings. Canaan fathered Sidon, his, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites. By the way, the Jebusites are the occupants of Jerusalem, uh, who David conquers before he sets up the capital of Israel. Um, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvadites, the Zemorites, the Hamathites. Afterward, the clans of Canaanites dispersed. The territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim as far as Laisha. Some of these names we're going to encounter in our study of Genesis. And here we'll have some idea of their origin. And when we get to those names, we'll say, oh, you know what? I've heard of them. Okay, I got that. I, I heard of them. Um, I heard of them. Now, in the midst of this section, there's one individual that gets some significant attention. If you look at verse 8, He's introduced to us as Nimrod. Uh, Cush fathers Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. Now, one of the fallen and sinful desires of the unconverted heart is to be great. 
a desire to be great. Um, for, for us, for one of us to be great, for a person to be great, uh, he or she has to be superior to the others. Uh, we could put it another way. For a person to be great, others have to be inferior. And this is a complete opposite. Nothing could be more opposite than a heart in heaven. For a heart in heaven is exactly the opposite of that. I would just as soon be inferior than my brothers could be exalted. Um, but the, convert, the unconverted worldly heart wants to be great. Nimrod, it's the spirit of Nimrod to be great, to amass personal fame, to amass personal power. Nimrod is that man. Look at verse 9. We're told that he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Uh, it may be that he was an expert in game, but it's often pointed out there's a dark side to all of this. A very dark side. And you'll see that in verse 10. Verse 10, the beginning of his kingdom. You see that? That's all we need to know. The beginning of whose kingdom? The beginning of his kingdom. Um, we need not know anything else. The beginning of his kingdom. Nimrod was a man of his own kingdom. And we cannot simultaneously be a man of our own kingdom and be men and women of God's kingdom. Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me. So if we are men and women of our own kingdom, then we are men and women of a kingdom that's set up against God. And that is Nimrod. He was a man of his own kingdom. He was an empire builder. The Jews taught that Nimrod was a hunter of souls. A hunter of souls. I think that's an interesting thing because it's the counterfeit of Christ. Jesus is the hunter of souls. You know, it's quite interesting that Jesus would choose to pull some guys out of some fishing boats and say, listen, fellas, I want you to be my disciples. You guys are used to fishing for fish. I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. We're going to go hunt us some souls. Nimrod is the, counter, he's the, he's the, he's the counterfeit of that. He's, he's the exact opposite of that. Worldly men build empires. Worldly empire builders. They gather people not because they love them. They gather people because they want to use them. And they use them to accomplish their sinful ends. Jesus, on the other hand, He's a lover of souls. He gathers men to make them fishers of men so that <laughs> it's a real privilege to be made a fisher of men, by the way, because all Jesus is doing is inviting you in on the fun. That's what Jesus is doing. He's inviting us in on the joy. It's a real joy to lead somebody to Christ. Trust me on that. Every one of us should want to be leading somebody to Christ. I can tell you from personal experience, it's the greatest of joy to be used by God to lead somebody to Christ. Not much else compares to that. Um, we should all be on about that. Lord, use me to lead somebody to Jesus. If we understood the joy of that, we'd all be, we'd all be running around trying to, trying to do it. And Let's get busy doing that, that we, might, that we might walk in the way that Jesus walked. He's a lover of souls. Why is Jesus searching and hunting souls? Because He loves souls. That's why. He's doing it for that reason, and he's doing it for the glory of the Father. But Nimrod's the demonic counterfeit of that. He's, he's an empire builder. Look at verses 10 to 12. And he's quite an empire builder, by the way. Look at verse 10. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. And I'll point out Babel, that's, uh, that's Babylon. Um, that's the city that's against God, for sure. Um, verse 11. From that land, he went into Assyria. The Assyrians would ultimately be 
uh, those who are set up against God. God would use them actually to give his people a paddling. Uh, the northern tribes are carried off by Assyria. Assyria builds Nineveh, uh, Rehoboth, Ir, Kela, and Racine between Nineveh and Kela. That is the great city. So obviously, Nimrod's a very influential character. Um, and he's a man who subdued a large number of people, and he's doing this with a rival kingdom that's set up against the kingdom of God. This is, this is what I think Leopold, the commentator that I quoted from earlier, is getting at. This is a negative thing, isn't it? It's a largely negative. If, you, if we went verse by verse in this, it would be so negative. And I think that's what, I think that's what Leopold was warning uh, preachers about doing. Um, let's, let's move on from there. Shem, verses 21 to 31. We have the record of the offspring of Shem. Uh, to Shem also, the father of all of the children of Eber. How many have heard of Eber before? Uh, Eber is very important. A uh, highly significant individual here. He is the father of the Eberus. Now, what does that sound like? Eberus. Let's put an H in front of it. Hebrews. Um, he is the father of the Hebrews. And Eber is very significant because out of his line will come Abraham. And of course, in the beginning at the end of Genesis 11, uh, the whole focus of, of uh, Genesis is now really going to be focused on one nuclear family, and that's Abraham and his, uh, in his line, actually. Um, so uh, what do we say to all this? Well, mighty men will come and mighty men will go. They'll set up their kingdoms. Their kingdoms will rise. Their kingdoms will fall. But the rest of the Old Testament will center on a different kingdom, a different kingdom altogether, and that's the kingdom of the Lord. I think to go any further than this, as I was writing this, I was thinking, we go any further than this, there are going to be so many details that we're going to be like dropping in our seats. And I see some of you are getting a little bit, it's starting to fall. So I understand and fully expected that. That's quite all right. Let's see if we can take a lot of the stuff that we've put here together. I don't want this to sound like a history lecture. Um, let's start putting all this together. To do that, we need to ask one real fundamental question is why is this here? Why do we have Genesis 10 sitting between Genesis 11 and Genesis 12? Um, or between Genesis 9 and Genesis 11, if you will. <laughs> this stuff will make your mind go, <laughs> why do we have it here? Why is it here? Well, I think the first, the first thing, there's, there's a real powerful lesson here for us, is that we see the human race as one race. It's only one race. There isn't multiple races. There's only one. Every human being has a great-grandfather. His name is Noah. So this whole idea of race is ignorant. I mean, to say race and to go on about race and to go on about racism is absolute ignorance of where we've come from. And, and I have a quote from Luther all these years ago, Luther says this. He says, quote, Hence, we must consider the chapter of Genesis a mirror in which to discern what we human beings are, namely, creatures so marred by sin that we have no knowledge of our own origin, not even of God Himself, our Creator, unless the Word of God reveals these sparks of divine light to us from afar. Those who are without them live in error, uncertainty, and boundless ungodliness, for they have no knowledge about who they are or where they came. And initially, I, my first point was going to be, you know, that 
this teaches us who we are. You know, if, if we're going to be racist, we, we've lost complete, we, we're just completely disconnected as to who we are. Who are we? We're children of Noah. All one, every one of us. We're children of Noah. Um, there is no superior line or inferior line. I mean, the line of Japheth is not superior or inferior to the line of Shem, and the line of Shem is not superior or inferior to the line of Ham. Um, the, the lines, none of which are superior or inferior to one another, they're cousins. The black man and the white man are cousins. We're cousins of one another. Our father is Noah. Every one of us. You're not going to run into anybody today whose father isn't Noah. There are multiple races. Racism is ugly. It's all over the place. We hear about it all the time. It's naive of us to think that we've put this behind us. I've heard people say, we thought, thought we had racism behind us. Really? You don't put racism behind you apart from Jesus? The further away you get from Jesus, the more racism is going to rear its ugly head. Racism is hardly behind us. It only can be put behind us in Christ Jesus. It's the only way we can put this behind us. Racism is ugly. And when we leave this room, we're going to encounter it all over the place. But by God's mercy, my prayer is this, is that the divine surgeon, the Lord Himself, will perform surgery in our hearts and He will remove any cancer of racism that is found there that we would not find any within our hearts. And may that be our prayer. Amen? People are all different, but they're all our cousins. Distant for sure, but nevertheless, they are cousins. We're one race. Secondly, as we look at why this here, why is Genesis 10 here? Why do we have this list of 70 names? If you want to count them, you'll find there's 70 of them. Um, if this is real, real boring, it'll give you something to do until I wrap things up. <laughs> Just a joke. Um, but why do we have this set? Why do we have these seventy names? Why? Why do we? Why do we have them? Well, context, context, context. Look back to Genesis nine and verse one. There, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, "What? Be fruitful." and multiply upon the earth. And then a chapter later, what do we, what do we find happening? He's, <laughs> I didn't hear all that, but I hear laughter. <laughs> They've been pretty fruitful. <laughs> it's because God has blessed them. And they're beginning to, they're beginning to expand um, out of the center, if you will, and populate the entire world, which that's my third point here. My third point I entitle from the center to the four corners. From the center to the four corners. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, it's from the Middle East that humanity has populated the world. From the center. We'll call the Middle East the center, the cradle. It's been said that the Middle East is the cradle of mankind. And it's from this center that mankind has spread to the remotest parts of the world from the center. And we have seen this primarily in the prophecy of Japheth. I mean, his tent has been enlarged from uh, India to the United States. That's a large tent. Um, but it's, it's far from the center, isn't it? And here, here we sit. I mean, how many miles are we from Jerusalem, for example? I don't know the answer to that. 
what is it? Is it 8,000 miles? Is it that far? I don't know. I should have looked it up. It's, it's, it's a long ways. It's a long drive. Now, with this in mind, let's think about the Gospel. I say, well, what's the Gospel got to do with 70 names I can't pronounce? Oh, it's, got, it's got everything to do with it. Let's think about the Gospel. Let's go back to Genesis 3.15. Someone say, well, you're always going back to Genesis 3.15. Yeah, that's because the Gospel. Uh, the, Genesis 3.15 promises a son. That's the Gospel. We're promised a son, a son who will crush the head of the serpent. A son who will defeat Satan. A son who will set all things right. A son who, who, who will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Where's, where's the son in all this? <laughs> he's, he's the son of Noah. He's here. He's the son of Noah. He's the son of Shem. He's the son of Arpachshad. He's the son of Eber. He's the son of Peleg. He will be a son of Abraham. He'll be a son of David. He'll be from the tribe of Judah. He's here. He's here. And he comes to the center. He comes to the cradle. Let's think about his ministry. Where does his ministry begin? At the cradle. I have come for the lost sheep of Israel. That's the line of Shem. That's where he comes. To the center. The book of Acts shows us the progress that he makes as he begins in the center. Things go really well, then there's persecution. Persecution happens, and the disciples scatter. God uses that persecution to scatter them. And in chapter 8 of Acts, we have this story of a certain Philip who is sent, he is sent to this obscure person, this Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian eunuch's in his chariot, and he's reading Isaiah, and he's struggling to understand Isaiah. And God sends Philip to explain Isaiah to him. And when, and when Philip explains Isaiah to him, his heart is opened, and he receives Christ Jesus. And guess what happens? The gospel spreads from the center to the line of Ham. Who is the Ethiopian? He's a descendant of Ham. And this has been God's plan all along. It, I wasn't going to have you turn there, but I think I, sh I think it'd be wise to have you turn to Isaiah forty-two. Stay in stay in Genesis ten, but turn to Isaiah forty-two. I think it would be helpful if you were looking at the words that I'm reading. Isaiah forty-two, starting with verse one. Isaiah forty-two. Starting with verse 1, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. This is one of what we call the servant songs. Who's the servant in this passage? Ultimately, he is Christ. And the reader of the New Testament recognizes that this passage is, 
is applied to Jesus in the New Testament. Very famously, a bruised reed He will not break. Uh, Very famously, it's applied to Him in the New Testament. Now, listen to verse 4. Look at verse 4 with me. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till He has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for His law. The coastlands. I asked you to hold on to that earlier. You remember that? The coastlands. Who are the coastlands? Go back to Genesis 10 and verse 5. From these, the coastland peoples spread in their land. From these, from who? From Japheth. From Japheth. Those who are on the outside of the center. Who are Japheth? That's you and me. It's us. It's from the cradle of the Middle East that mankind has fanned out and spread throughout the world. And it's from the Middle East that the Savior has come and the news of His coming has fanned out and spread from the cradle of mankind, even to you and me. And I think we can see here um, the fourth thing that I have listed is the evangelism of the world. Do we see that? That's certainly in view here with the table of nations. After Jesus is resurrected, just before He ascends, He gives instructions to His disciples and through them to His church. And He instructs us famously to go therefore and make disciples of what? Of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And He promises to be with us always to the end of the age. So this age will continue until the Gospel is gone through Genesis 10. This age will continue until the hunter of souls, Christ Jesus Himself, has completed His work. What a blessing that the hunter of souls has come to us. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for this list of 70 names. Father, may we store this in our heart as we will the other Scriptures. Father, we thank You, O Lord, that You have a heart for the nations. We thank You, O Lord, that You bless the nations. You, you, you bless Noah and commanded him to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and You bless them. And the earth has, has, has filled. And you blessed us again in Christ Jesus. And you have dispatched your gospel throughout this whole world. And Father, we thank you that you have brought that gospel to us and blessed us and given us eyes that see and ears that hear that we too could be engrafted into your glorious kingdom out of this table of, table of nations and into the kingdom of God. Oh Lord, we thank You and praise You in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.